so let's, uh, I'm waiting for my technology to boot up here and then we'll uh, get started. In the meantime, let's just open up with prayer and thank God for the word. Thank you, Father God, for the word. We're grateful for Jesus, the living word. He's flesh, he's blood, he's life, hallelujah, that's came down from heaven for us to consume, hallelujah. In the spirit, we thank you for nourishment, for nutrients of the spirit tonight in the name of Jesus. We thank you for a spirit of revelation and wisdom and the knowledge of you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've been given to us and you reside in each and every one that has called on the name of the Lord Jesus and received him in their their heart. You reside, come to reside permanently in us and to lead us in truth and knowledge. And I thank you right now for leading us, Holy Spirit, in truth and knowledge. Thank you for giving us the mind of God tonight. Hallelujah. Because you know and you search the mind of the living God and you live in us and can deliver it to us, his thoughts. Hallelujah. And his knowledge. And we give all the glory and honor to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Praise God. Well, so we've been talking about the spirit-led life or, or aspects of the spirit-led life and We've been working on this now. I think this will be the maybe the seventh week or the the sixth week, the fifth week. That's correct. I keep thinking four weeks in a month, but we only go three weeks. So yeah, so this is the fifth week that we've been talking about this. And actually, you know, Anna Rose began some some introduction into the spirit into uh, spiritual gifts and so forth, and that's kind of what set this off. In the in the need to go ahead and delve further into the concepts of the spirit led life. We've covered a lot of things, and last week we really kind of started getting into the meat and potatoes of identifying the inner voice, identifying how we are led by the Spirit, you know. Um, And, you know, we got into some of the keys of the Spirit-led life, and we talked about yieldedness, you know, and yieldedness is just really simple submission. It's being submitted. It's submitting your will, your agenda, your desires, your goals, submitting those. Just like a yield sign in the way it controls flow of traffic, you don't necessarily have to yield, but the consequence could be devastating if you don't obey that sign. And so what you're doing is you're submitting your the force of your vehicle and momentum of your vehicle to the right-of-way of others. That's what yieldedness is for, as it pertains to the spirit-led life. You're yielding your right to walk a certain way, to say a certain thing, to do a certain action to that of the Holy Spirit's agenda, his action, his word. See what I'm saying? That's yieldedness. And so we need to, need to do that to be led by the spirit. If we're going to lead a spirit-led life, we've got to be yielded. Then we have to be open. That was the second thing we talked about. And it's not the same because openness is, uh, is about your availability. So yieldedness is about submission. Openness is whether or not you're available. It's kind of like, you know, a business. Are they open or are they closed? Are they available to do business? Are they not available to do, to, to do business? And so openness is a very important thing as well. So you might be a submitted person, but guess what? You've got so much stuff going on. Or here's an, here's an element of, uh, to maybe bring the openness concept in, into a greater light. You might be willing in a, to do certain things, but then you're closed in other areas. See what I'm saying? 
So I'm open for business, God, when it comes to this and this and this. But I'm closed and, and you know, no vacancy over here. See what I'm saying? That's not going to work if you're going to be led in the fullness of the Spirit-led life. You have to be open. And any part of your person needs to be available. Any part of your agenda, any part of your purpose in life, why you're doing what you're doing should be, should be open. And, you know, we're just, you know, we're just talking back there a little bit about what we're rolling into in terms of the covenant groups and stuff. You know, and Pastor CJ's posing some questions and, you know, he even, you know, posed, you know, the, the concept that, you know, if the leadership is having massive issues or whatever, then he's open, you know, to be, to, to consider that. He's not going to be, you know, uh, dictatorial and say, oh, well, it's my way or the highway. You know, we're going to go on this deal no matter what. See, he's open. Pastor, and I appreciate that, Pastor. See, he's open. He's available for change. Okay, and we talked about openness being an active thing. It's not just a passive posture, but it's an act, it's really an active posture. And, um, <clears throat> you know, and that actually the Hebrew word, you know, um, for listen which listening, listening is being open. You're, you're, you're open and available to hear what someone is saying to you. The Hebrew word for listen that's often translated listen in the Old Testament is actually not just a, a word that means receiving the word, but it implies a readiness to act. So in other words, the, the, the listening implies a readiness to respond. Now that's what I would call open. To where you're in a place to where it's almost like the before the message is finished being transmitted, you're already moving. That's that's what that what the original language implies. So that's a, that's real real openness. And so then we got to talking about the third aspect, and this is where we drill into really identifying the voice that we follow in the spirit led life, and that's our conscience. That's our conscience. And that the, the third aspect or key to the spirit-led life is having a clear conscience. A clear one. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to go a little bit further into this tonight. Man, I'm excited about where we're headed tonight. This is going to be awesome. Hallelujah. Some good practicality to being led by the Spirit of God. So, you know, really what is a clear conscience? If we talk about it, a clear conscience is being clearly tuned to the inner channel or frequency. So if we want to define clear conscience, if we want to really just explain it in simple terms, it means being tuned to the inner channel, to the inner frequency of the spirit. And, you know, it's just like, I mean, those of us that are certainly 40 years of age and older, we, we used radios that you had to actually manually tune with a dial, not the little digital, you know, up and down, you know, skipping by 0.2 tenths, you know, and it immediately gets, or you can punch a deal and it automatically populates all the, you know, the strongest receptive channel, you know, strongest channels received. No, back in the day it was, you know, and you go through all that, you know. Does anyone remember that? <laughs> 
I remember the TV. I remember having a TV in my own room when I was a teenager, and it was black and white. I remember thinking it was so cool to be able to have a TV in my own room. But it was a sorry old black and white TV, and it had the course channel and then the fine tune. So you'd turn it to channel five, and then it was like you you hold your mouth right and get that antenna right, and you you then you fine tune it. You fine tune it. Do you remember that old TV, Jarrett? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. So, but the clear, the clarity of your conscience is the ability to dial in to that frequency. Do you see that? It's really, really a neat analogy, I think, because it, it's, it's practical to me. I can see that. I can relate to that because I used to have to dial in the channel, you know? So clearing your conscience allows you to quickly tune to the frequency. If your conscience is not clear, then you have a lot of static in the transmission of that frequency. A lot of static, a lot of interference. You might be able to make out what's going on and even hear the words, but if there's a lot that you're having to filter out. That's, that's, that's what I mean by clear conscience or unclear conscience. <clears throat> and so the conscience is the typical way that you're going to be led by the Spirit of God. It is through this channel or voice, if you will. And we've talked about the three parts of who we are, spirit first, have a soul, live in a body, the spirit's voice or the uh, voice of the, of the flesh is the feelings or the senses, the voice of the soul or the voice of the mind is the intellect or reasoning, and then the voice of the spirit is the conscience. Okay, so each one of who you are as a triune being, three in one, has a voice. They each have a voice. And so conscience, again, is the voice of the spirit. And so what is conscience, really? And if you look in the old language, the original language, it really means a co-perception. The word conscience that's, that's translated from the old language, or the, the original language, means literally co-perception. Co-perception. That's what conscience means, a co-perception. Well, where does the word co come from in this concept? I mean, we talk about co-perception. Co, like cooperate, requires more than one entity for that to happen. So co-perception requires more than one entity for this to be, uh, for this to exist, right? And so this co-perception, where does the word co from, come from? Well, let me submit some scripture to you. Romans 8, 16, excellent scripture. This is probably one of the golden texts, you know, of, the, of, of kind of what we're talking about here tonight. Listen to what it says. It says, this spirit itself or himself bears witness with our spirit. There is the co. Do you see that operation? The spirit, capital S, so that's the Holy Ghost, himself bears witness with. There's the co, see? There's the co. The Holy Ghost with what? With our spirit, little s. There's the co-perception, the co-witness. Right there it is, folks, talking about conscience, talking about conscience from the old or the original language meaning co-perception and where the word co comes from, quote-unquote. Well, it comes from the cooperation of two entities. In this case, the scripture talking about the cooperation of our spirit with the, cap, with the spirit capital S, the Holy Ghost. So there's the co-perception. Listen to what 
what uh, Romans 9, 1 says, and this is Paul. He says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Right there is a wonderful scripture that lays out a perfect example of what I'm talking about here. Here that Paul is telling you, I not only am telling you of my own word that, I'm t- what, that what I'm telling you is true, my conscience is confirming this. In other words, someone inside of him, along with who he is from a truth perspective, it, that he's bringing out, because guess what? That truth is coming, and he's being led in that truth by that co-witness, is co-witnessing with his spirit that what he's saying is right. Do you see that? That's what he says there. I say the truth. I lie not. He's telling the folks, I'm not lying to you, folks. How do I know I'm not lying? Because my conscience is bearing witness with me in the Holy Ghost. Isn't that interesting? So the conscience, right here, he lays out that co-witness. The co-witness of his spirit with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so here, here we go, folks. Man, we're drilling down. We're drilling down to the practicality of being led by the Spirit. So let, let's, I mean, man, I, I know you all have walked, a lot of you all have walked in this. Some of you all are learning to walk in this. But we're all going to learn, you know, we'll be, how about this? We'll stir up our pure mind by way of remembrance. Hallelujah. So listen to what this says. Uh, you know, being led then, okay, based on what I just talked about, being led then means that we must, is everybody ready for this? Are we ready? We're talking about being led by the Spirit, and we're drilling down right now to the absolute heart of the matter. This is it, the heart of how you were led. Is everybody ready? Okay, I'm just making sure. Being led means we must perceive the co-witness. You have to be able to perceive that. If you cannot perceive the co-witness, you can't really be led by the Spirit of God. I'm I'm saying day in, day out now. Outside of God manifesting his voice audibly to you, which Scripture proves that can happen. But how many folks, let's do a census, how many folks have heard the audible voice of God with these ears? I've never heard the audible voice of God with, with these ears. Now, I've heard the voice of God so strong inside of me, like one minister says, someone standing behind me just spoke the words. Now, I've heard that, that, that voice, the voice of the Holy Ghost, that strong. Now, it wasn't with these ears, but it might as well have been. It was so, made such an impression on me. But more times than not, though, I don't hear the Holy Ghost like that. I just, do you, brother? I mean, I, I mean you, you've heard him like that, but do you hear him like that very often? No, no. Yeah, so day in, day out, the process of my living is not that kind of a, a communication usually. Boy, I like it when it happens like that. But isn't it interesting? A lot of times, the strongest times when the Holy Ghost speaks to me like that is when I'm at my most spirit, unspiritual moment. <laughs> it's, inter- it's interesting. No, I, I've had the strongest uh, voices of the Holy Ghost speaking to me when I was about as spiritual as a potato. I mean, just nothing going on, man. I was in the depth of despair. I was in whatever. Praise God for his mercies, man. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, so being led means, 
and is and and depends on you being able to identify the co-witness. So let me give you an excellent analogy. Let's say that there was a car accident. Okay, so we're out here, you know, we're we're walking down the street, we see a car accident take place, and it's a bad one. Several people involved. <clears throat> And then there's several people around also that witnessed the car accident. So it's not just you. It's three or four other people as well that were walking down the side, you know, the, the street, or they're in the other cars behind the car that got hit, so on and so forth. Okay. My, my computer's wanting to go down on me here. Okay. So let's say we have that, that uh, thing take place, car accident take place. So you have witnesses that witness the accident. And then what happens is, is then you have a police officer to come. They're going to investigate what happened. What's the first thing they want to do? If it's possible. I mean, they're going to talk to the people involved in the accident and gather the data. But guess what? In instances when it is appropriate and when it is available and people come to offer it, they will receive testimony as well. People can come up and say, officer, excuse me, I saw everything that happened. He's going to take that information into account. Guess what? Witness number two comes forward. He takes the information into account. Guess what? Witness number three, witness number four, witness number five. And what if they all said basically the same thing? Would that substantiate the, the, you know, to a great potential that that probably happened? You know, that it happened like that? Yes. Do you see what I'm saying? So there is a, what's called a corroboration, a corroboration of testimony. Okay, it's a co-witnessing, if you will. We've got this witness that, co- with this witness, and, and all of that is a cooperative witness, a cooperative testimony, a corroborating testimony of what actually happened. And so what happens is the story gets firmer and firmer as more people come forward and verify and co-witness the same story. The more people you get to come to give the same information, the more it just corroborates and further strengthens the story, does it not? That's what you look for in a a court of law. That's what the judge is looking to hear, is corroborating testimony. Okay? So guess what that's called? Co-witness. See, it's corroborating testimony. And so if we look here, if we look here at, at, at um, well, in Acts chapter 5, and you, you can go there if you want, but I'm going to just kind of talk for a little bit. In Acts chapter 5, you know, Peter and the apostles, <clears throat> you know, they set forth to preach the gospel. And the, the, the law, the leaders of the law, the Sadducees and so forth, man, they admonish them and they tell them, you do not do this anymore. And in fact, they end up taking them and putting them in jail. <laughs> and, 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 they, uh, and then the angel comes and releases them, even though the door stays locked and the guard is there. Okay, it's, pretty, it's a neat story. And, and he tells them, go and preach in the middle of the temple again. <laughs> you know? Well, the whole time, all the leaders and the people that put these people in jail still think they're in jail. Until the next morning, whenever those people are out there pre- uh, preaching again and so forth, and then they go to the jail and find that, in fact, the jailer is there. He wasn't asleep. The jail is locked, but all the people are gone. It's like, wait a minute. What in the world? So it's a miracle, you know. 
Bottom line is, you know, they end up getting the guys and they bring them before the council and everything. And they're like telling them, what are are we told you all to stop doing, stop preaching this? And Peter, man, he has to just lay it out. He lays out a very succinct uh, capsule of, of gospel. And it's all about Jesus, the witness about Jesus and what he did. And he tells them, and you're the idiots that killed him. <laughs> you know, like, well, that's, that's the Greg version. But anyway, but then, then in Acts 5.32, listen to how he, he ends up here. Listen to what he says. He says, and we are his witnesses of these things. Was Peter there to witness the things that Jesus did? That he's talking about? Yes, he was. Were the other apostles? Yes, they were. Were they witnesses? Eyewitnesses? Which is the greatest testimony you can get is an eyewitness. Yes, they were. But I want you to see that he doesn't stop and say, and we were witnesses of this, and leave it, leave the substance of substantiating the story to that. What does he go on to say? He says, and so also is the Holy Ghost. So in other words, we are the witnesses, but so is also the Holy Ghost. Isn't that interesting? You see, there is a co-witness there. Because not only were they eyewitnesses, and this is what I wanted to, to get to, uh, you know, on this story, is that it's so interesting to me that here they, the apostles are who are eyewitnesses. They lived with Jesus. They ate with Jesus. They saw the things that they're talking about. They heard the word straight from the master, uh, you know, that they're preaching, that they're talking about. And, but yet that witness, which in my mind is, is more than sufficient, that's the eyewitness. That's the living, breathing, experiential witness. That wasn't enough. Peter said, so also is the Holy Ghost. He's identifying the Holy Spirit as a corroborating, as a final corroboration to the testimony here. But of course, he's speaking way over their head. But he's speaking, guess what, from his spirit, where the Holy Ghost is at, that is, that is corroborating the testimony, telling him, yes, Peter, yes, Peter, yes, Peter, yes, Peter, what you're saying, yes, yes, yes. See, that's the co-witness. And so Peter just comes out with it, and the Sadducees, it just flies right over their head. I guarantee you they didn't even know what the heck he was talking about. But it didn't make any difference. Peter says it nonetheless, and I love it because it's a great, to me, a great example in Scripture of the co-witness here that Peter's relying on. So it's not just his eyewitness. In other words, isn't that so cool? It's not, eyewitness was not just, was not enough to Peter. He's also getting the co-witness of the spirit of truth inside of him telling him this is right. Isn't that awesome? I think that's awesome. I mean, that's, that's really, really cool. That's the co-witness. We're talking about being led. We're talking about the, 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 the absolute key, the crux of, of, lead, of being led is identifying, is being able to tune into that channel. And how do you tune into that channel? You have to be able to identify the co-witness. Have to be able to identify. Have to be able to locate that. It's always better to have more than one person's word on something. It is. And in fact, the scripture says, let something be confirmed in the mouth of two or three testimonies. In other words, don't just take one person's opinion for something. Let's let two or three more come forward and say the same thing. And then, and only then do you start to think, okay, this is probably right. Y'all see that? Let a matter, let a matter be confirmed in the mouth of two or three testimonies. It's good with respect to scripture too. It's good to get two or three scriptures that confirm the same thing that the Holy Ghost is telling you and he'll bring them to you. You'll find them. 
You might find them through teachers, you might find them through whatever, but you'll realize, oh, that's another scripture that relates to this thing the Spirit of God's been talking to me about. Man, grab a hold of that. That's another mouth of witness. Hallelujah in scripture. It's always better to have more than one person's word on something. Listen to what Matthew 18, 16 says. You don't have to go there, just listen to me. It says, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. That's the scripture I was just referring to. That's it. Matthew eighteen sixteen. I forgot I'd written it down here. So there it is. The mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Okay, so how do we, how do we identify this witness? How do we identify this co-perception? So now we're, we're getting down, we're, now we're down to the nitty gritty. We know that if we're going to be led by the Spirit of God, more times than not, it's not going to be an audible voice. It's not going to even be that voice that almost is so clear it's standing right behind you. It's going to be that inward co-witness. The day in, day out leading is going to be by the inward co-witness. So how do you identify that? And we said you have to be able to identify that if you're going to be led. So how do you identify that? Here's the, here it is. You identify the witness by looking for the knowing. The knowing. People are like, what in the world are you saying, man? It's like you're talking in parables. <laughs> you look for the witness by, you identify the witness by looking for the knowing. You would learn, <laughs> I like this, and I got this from Keith Moore. You learn to acknowledge your seamer. S-E-E-M-E-R. Your seamer. Now, let me give you some examples so you understand what I'm talking about. Listen to what Acts 15, 28 says. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Listen to the language. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. So I see the Holy Spirit's voice and his witness in it. I see the, the witness of the us in there. There's the co-witness. And notice it says, it seemed good. Remember what I said? We're identifying the inner, we're identifying that co-witness. Well, what, how do you identify it? You look for the seeming, follow the seeming. This seems right inside. If you have a seeming right, that is the co-witness. Okay, let's look at another thing. Notice that the inspiration to write the very gospel of Luke was not born from an edict of the Father God saying, Thus shall you write the book of Luke. Set forth your hand to pen and begin to write under the inspiration of my spirit. That's not what the Word of God says. Listen to what the Word of God says. Now, this is, I'm not making this up. You can turn to Luke chapter 1, 3, and you can see this for yourself. Listen to what he says. He says, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. So here we see the physician, well, here we see whoever wrote the book of Luke saying it seemed good to me also to write one. Do you see that? Luke 1, 3. So we see an entire gospel and guess what the gospels are? How many of them are there? There's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. 
Are each one of them a single voice? Yes, they're a voice of testimony. The voice of testimony of Matthew, the voice of testimony of Mark, the voice of testimony of Luke, testimony of John. Guess what? In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a thing be established. Guess what? We have four gospels. We have four men that identify and, and, and bring forth the same stories. But you see a different light. You see different levels of detail. But let me tell you what, they all corroborate. You don't see one of them saying something that's holistically different than the other about how things happened. Do you all see what I'm saying? Isn't that interesting? We have co-witness right there among men. Plus, we have the Holy Ghost who leads us in the Scripture that will witness, that will bear witness with us in the testimony of that co-witness with those men. Do you all see that? There's safety in co-witness. There's safety in a corroborating testimony. There's security in that. But I got to tell you, I want to just tell you again, an entire voice of witness as the gospel of Luke was, was brought forth because it seemed good to do it. Do you all see that? I'm not talking about seeming good here. I'm talking about right in here. I'm talking about like a good old country colloquial, your gut. It seems right in your gut. My gut is telling me this is a good thing to do. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Another way to identify it is intuition. Some people might call it intuition. Mothers, and I have my younger brother here, and he can testify. I think it, did it not, did it not amaze you that mom always knew Jarrett? Yeah, it's a lot of inside things there. But it's amazing. It it was amazing, wasn't it? It's amazing what moms know about their kids. And the kids the whole time thinking, mom don't know none of this. You know, and the whole time (laughs) mom knows what's going on. Right, moms? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. What is that? That's 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 an inward witness. To me, that is a God-born, God-breathed, God-fibered thing that he puts inside parents. And each parent has a different perspective in that and is necessary to the protection and nurturing of that child. And mothers have things, guys, that we just don't have. They just do. They're wired with wiring that we just don't have. We need the moms. Oh, my goodness, we need the moms. Moms need the dads. Because they have some wiring that they don't have either. There's a compliment. But it's interesting because in parenting, there's a, there's a inward witness about your kid, about what, if you care about your kids. Now there's a whole bunch of parents. They don't, they, it, it don't, they don't know what's going on with their kids because they don't care about them. I'm talking about normal, caring ki- parents that love their kids, that want their kids to succeed. They're all, and they're about their kids' safety, preservation. There is an inward thing inside of them. Mothers in particular. They call it a mother's intuition. That's just an inward witness is what that is. It is. It is. And it's amazing how that works. Okay, so let's move into... Uh, or move on down the road here just a little bit. Okay. So do we have that? 
Do, are, we're looking for, what we're looking for in identifying the co-witness is the knowing or the seeming. It seems right to me. So here's, here's a key in this. It won't, it may not seem right here, but it does here. And that's what you've got to go with. That's the inward no- voice. That's the inward knowing. When you have something, and, how, and, and here's some practical things to identify it as well. Whenever it doesn't leave you, that's a good thing to go with. It keeps coming back. Can anyone identify with this? So it's not just a matter of worry and anxiety here. I'm not talking about that. Because worry and anxiety will plague your thoughts a lot of times. But I'm talking about when you get still, it, something comes back. And then you might go spend the day at work and you forget about it, don't think about it at all, or maybe go three or four days. But then when you get still, here it comes. <laughs> you know, whatever that it is. Whether it's a need to make a connection with somebody, whether it's a need to, you know, go to somebody and, you know, tell them you're sorry. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and how, you know, how can I say this? What is this process that I'm talking about? Well, we talked about this a little bit last week. Hebrews ten sixteen. Listen to what it says. This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And notice here that the, the Bible is talking about the laws being put in the heart first. Okay. And remember, the co-witness is here. The inner man, the inward voice, okay? That's where the Holy Ghost resides, in your spirit. And we talked about, you know, in Proverbs 20 about, you know, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. That's why I keep going like this, because the spirit oftentimes is associated with the heart or core or the belly of a person. So that's why I keep going like that. The spirit is, 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 is the center of your being. This is the center mass. If you're a sniper, they tell you to shoot center mass. Well, this is the center mass. I know that's a terrible analogy, but why? Because it's the biggest density of your body. Not my legs and stuff. It's right here. Well, that's where it's the center mass. You know, phys- that's where I, where I like to bring an attention as far as the spirit is concerned. But where is the law of God? Where is the, the inner counsel of God? It's placed first in the inner man, then written on their minds. So it, the, the process of, of, of knowledge renewing the mind is a process from spirit first to the soul. Okay, so notice that the laws are put in the heart and then they're written on the mind. This, folks, is the process the process, the new nature of the inner man is the avenue through which the mind is renewed. Okay? And so, again, we're talking about the conscience. And really, that process of the inner law of God, the truth of God, okay, being put in the inner man, nudging or inspiring the mind to be renewed to that, which then can be renewed to that, that process of the inner man nudging or inspiring the mind, that's your conscience. If we're going to define it further, 
That's your conscience. The process of the inner man nudging or inspiring your mind, that is the conscience. Okay? And so, we're, again, we're, we're talking about some of the same things, but I'm, I'm looking at them from a little bit different perspectives here. But if you're going to receive effectively, if you're going to be led by the Spirit of God, you've got to understand that process. You can't just go on and, and engage the process from the soul first and then the spirit. It's always spirit first, then the soul. And a key to this, you know, a key to understanding the process is living from the correct perspective. So that, that, that correct perspective is that your soul must be subjected to your spirit and not the flesh. Not the outward man. Your soul must be subjected. That means you have to force your soul into submission to the inner man and not the outward man. That's where a lot of the breakdown takes place, folks, with Christians. We're talking about Christians. I'm not talking about people that don't know the Lord. We're talking about Christians. People that know the Lord can't be led by the Spirit of God. They're not renewed unto the, unto the Spirit. I'm talking about Christians here, folks, and this is where it breaks down. Right there is, 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 is 101 being led by the Spirit. You've got to get your, your three and your triune being in the correct order. Spirit first, soul, and the body, and your soul has to be subjected to the Spirit. Okay, not to the flesh. How can I say this? Let me give you scripture for it. Romans 8, 5 through 7. This is an excellent scripture to spend some time in meditation. Listen to what it says. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. There it is. There it is. They have set their mind in subjection to the flesh if you live according to the flesh. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, capital S, have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. See, there it is. There it is in Scripture just to, to state clearly what I just said. You can take your soul and submit it to the flesh, and it's going to, you're going to produce what the flesh desires. You can take your soul and submit it to the Spirit, and you'll produce what the Spirit desires. Which, praise God, the Spirit is after the likeness of God, resident Holy Ghost resonant there. That's the mind of God inside of you. You want to be led by the Spirit. You want to walk in the counsel of, of the godly. You want to walk in the steps he's ordered for you. Then submit your mind to the Spirit. That's it. Submit your mind to the Spirit. And listen to what it says if we go on here in verse 6, Romans 8, 6. It says, the mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Man, we could stop and preach there for a good long while. My goodness. You don't have life and peace going on in your midst right now. I can tell you probably it's because your mind is more tuned to the flesh than it is the Spirit. I mean, that's what it seems pretty clear to me here. The mind governed by the flesh. Now, I want to get to this part. This is very important. Verse 7. The mind governed by the flesh. Why is this important? The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It's enmity. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Folks, I got to ask, when are we going to learn this? 
I'm talking to me. When are we going to learn that our mind cannot submit and will not submit to, to the things of God? Because it can't do it. It can't do it. Here's the scripture that proves that out. But yet what we try to do is approach everything of God through the soul. We try to live the life of God through the soul. We try to, to, to manifest the things of the kingdom through the soul. It's just not going to happen according to the word. So if you notice verse 7 then, again, when are we going to learn that you cannot submit to the law of God if you are fleshly minded or ruled? You won't submit. You won't because you can't. So, you know, that's why Paul said, the very thing I don't want to do, I do. It's like, what's going on with me? Well, guess what? It's because That was like in the previous couple chapters. He talks about that. Well, here he's laying it out for you. Why? Because the mind can't, can't submit to the law of God. It just doesn't have the capacity to do it. So you have to, to if, if it's controlled by the flesh, you know, if you're submitted to the flesh. But if you submit it to the spirit, then the things of God can be manifest in your life. Okay, so it depends on which person of your being your mind is, you're submitting your, the members of your mind to. Okay, so you can't submit to the law of God if you're fleshly minded or ruled. You can't even receive the things of God since they're spiritually understood. So then when you look at this, so what law, quote unquote, is this that it's talking about? You know, it's talking about, you know, you can't, the mind can't submit to the law of God. I mean, what law is it talking about? Well, guess what? It's the law of the inner man that we saw back in the Hebrew scripture. Remember, he would take his law and put it within our hearts and write it on our minds. It's the law of the inner man, the spiritual compass that directs you in God's will. And again, I'm going to tell you that if you're doing everything from a perspective of a, of a flesh-ruled mind, you will not be able to follow that compass direction inside of you. You won't be able to. The scripture is very clear. It can't submit to that compass, nor it says it won't submit, nor can it do so. That spiritual compass of the law of God that's written on our hearts... And first, and then in our minds. And then there's a co-witnessing there. Okay? And then I just want to take a side journey for just a minute. You know, I saw an article right after Christmas, you know, uh, from the U, you know, the version app that all of us probably use to access all our million Bibles that are on it, which I love. I mean, I'm into that. I love that, having all those different versions and so forth. You know, they wrote the guy that, the guy that's kind of the CEO or whatever, you know, of the, the, you know, the company or the group or whatever that does that app, the version app, they wrote an article because every year they go and they look what the most popular verses are that are accessed. Do anybody see this article? And I thought, oh, I got to read that because I want I just want to see what are the most popular verses. And of course I'm thinking John three sixteen. you know, I'm thinking the traditional, you know, type type verses that we're all that we all know and love get this i'm going to read you the verses and then i'm going to ask you what you think the theme is romans 12 2 this was number one 
Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Philippians 4.8, this is, this is number two on the list. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And this is number three in the top downloads of Scripture. Philippians 4, 6, two verses previous. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, is there a theme among all three of those scriptures? Can anyone see it? What is it? The mind. The mind. Isn't that interesting? The top download scriptures for 2014, all of them, the top three had to do with the mind. I didn't even go beyond the third one because I was like, oh my goodness, I'm seeing the theme here. <clears throat> you know, so yeah, that's right. It's the mind. And so, you know, it seems to me that it's obvious that people are on a quest to discover how the mind works in Christianity, how the mind works in this process, what role it fulfills. That's what we're talking about, folks. That's what we're talking about. We see a quest, I think. People are, are being driven to learn about what, how, why, how does my mind fit into this process because it's obvious my mind is not hooked up with my spirit all the time here. And it's giving me a lot of feedback that's not good. And I'm struggling with it. How do I get it under control? How do I do? You see what I'm saying? You can see that through all those scriptures there. They're great. They're excellent scriptures. Okay. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but, you know, it's okay to beat him a little bit. So uh, let me just tell you this. The process of being led by the, being led by the Spirit, the process of being led by the Spirit. That's what we've been talking about for, for five meetings and going on six next week. And we really drilled down to the predominant way that you're led by the Spirit, and it's the inward knowing, the co-witness, the seeming right here. It seems, it seems just like Paul said, Peter said, it seemed good to, to me and the Holy Ghost. You know? You know, Luke, when he wrote the book, seemed good to me. And the Holy Ghost, to, you know, seemed good to me to, do, to take up pen and write this gospel account. See what I'm saying? Who would, have, who would have thought that a gospel voice, you know, that record would have been written based on a seemed good? Anybody think about that? That kind of crushes some, some religion or kicks some religious cows, doesn't it? Because a lot of people think that, you know, they received this grandiose edict from God to set forth hand to pen. When in effect, he was just living out the daily perspective of, of li- being led by the Spirit. Yeah, it, seemed, it seems good. And you know, I, I, you have to add the scripture to say this. So this is, my, this is thus saith Greg. But I can only imagine what was going through his mind or going through his being was week in, week out as he's praying, as he's, you know, uh, you know, meeting with people, you know, in the home groups that they had going back then and all that kind of stuff, that probably it kept coming back to him. You know what? You need to write down your account of your witness of, of, of the Lord Jesus, you know? And he might have just been like, yeah, that'd be a good idea and go on about his business and three days later, you know what? I need to, I need to write that down. Then go on for another week, and you know what? 
it'd be good if I wrote down the, my, you know, the, my, the perspective, my perspective in, with the master. You see what I'm saying? That's thus saith Greg, but I can see that happening because that is the process that we're led through more times than not, day in, day out. It's that kind of thing. Does it seem right? Does it keep coming back? Because that's the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit. If you're open, if you're open, if you're open, he's good to, to keep coming back. He'll keep bringing it back here. He'll just keep coming back and it'll be like, oh, man, that'd be good. That seems right to me. I need to go give $100 to so-and-so. Maybe you, you just, that hits you, that hits you because something happens, you make a connection, and all of a sudden something inside of you is like, I need to give $100 to that person. And then you think, well, is that my mind or is that my spirit? I mean, is that, am I just thinking that? And really in actuality, does it matter? I mean, you know, I mean, it's better, but we're blessed to give than to receive, but maybe, maybe $100 is all you've got. And maybe, though, that unction is there. And so you wait, you know, you go, to, you, you go brush your teeth, or you, you sit down to pray over your meal, it comes back. You go to brush your teeth, you get ready to go to bed, it comes back. I need to give $100. Something about giving $100 to this person. You wake up in the morning, the first thing that hits you is the N-word. I need to give this, I need to give $100 to this person. Do you see what I'm saying? That's the, that's the knowing, that's the seeming inside of you. And then eventually, it just, as long as you're open now, folks, it'll just sit there. It'll be this quiet presence, still small voice, speaking, prompting, prompting, prompting. Now, you can choose to ignore it. And then the next time, it might be a little quieter and not last as long. Remember, we're talking about the clear conscience. Talking about how the conscience is how you hear the inward knowing. We're talking about practical things now. I'm leaving my notes behind for a minute. Practical things. So then the importance of, a, of, of keeping that, being able to tune into that channel, the things that will keep you from being able to tune into it is, number one, ignoring it. If you ignore that inward prompting, it will dull it. And then the next time, it won't be quite as, it won't last quite as long. It won't be quite as stirring as it was before. And if you ignore that, it'll just continue dulling it, dulling it, dulling it, dulling it. Do you see what I'm saying? That's it. You don't want to, don't ever ignore the seamer. Don't ignore that. I mean, you, you can prove it now. You can prove it. There's nothing wrong with proving it. In other words, sometimes there's times that you need to give it time to prove it. Just, just, just pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Spirit and say, God, it seems, I, it seems like I've got a seeming in my, inside of me about this. I'm yielded to you. I'm open. If this is you, God, I, I know you're not going to leave me on this. You know, pray for it. Pray. See what happens the next day as you pray. Does it come back? You know, you see what I'm saying? These are practical things that you can prove out the inward knowing, the inward witness. And then, <clears throat> I just want to give some examples. And then what will happen, too, is... So that's a way that you can be led is by it'll continue to stay with you. It'll come back. When you get quiet, it'll come back. Okay, that's an, you know, and it's here, folks. And so it, the whole thing of is it my mind or is it my spirit? Well, the mind is, you can always know because the mind, to me, it's fickle to the circumstance. So when the circumstance changes, then your perspective changes. 
<laughs> but when it's the Spirit, it don't matter what circumstance does, that don't change. Y'all see what I'm saying? Do you see what I'm saying there? Yeah. So, so no matter what your emotions are telling you, your emotions are up, your emotions are down. But regardless of that, if you're looking here, there'll be a, there'll be a, a knowing. There'll be a seeming. There'll be something in there that it will be the same. It will be the same. It'll be a steady, pres- quiet presence. Okay? Um, then... There are times, and then here's what happens, though. It works exactly the opposite, though, as you respond to it. Because the quicker you learn to to identify the inward knowing, the inward seeming and responding to it, the more you hear. (laughs) It opens the channel. It clears the channel. Because what you're doing is is you're doing this with the fine-tune knob. Oh, oh, now take it back to the left. Oh, take it back. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right there. Right there. See what I'm saying? That's what you're doing. When you respond quickly, the, the more you get to the place that you can respond, learn to identify that knowing and respond quicker, the, the clearer the channel will get. That's another practical thing. So the more you do this, so this is all about practice, folks. And I don't mean practice from the perspective of do or do not, or, or from, from trying it. I mean from perspective of doing it or doing it not. <laughs> like Yoda said, do or do not. There is no try. You either do it or you don't do it. <laughs> you know, that's the way it is with God. There's no practice. You just do it or you don't do it. So what you do is, is you, it's called faith. It's called stepping out in an area that your mind doesn't understand, but your heart is leading you there. That's following the inward witness. That's being led by the Spirit. That's leading by the Spirit is all about faith. Okay? But there'll be times, too, that when you're in a situation, the Holy Ghost will speak very resonantly inside of you. I mean, it'll be, it will be like a voice, standing, someone standing behind you. It's that clear. I've heard the voice like that. Many times, actually, in my life, off and on, I've heard that voice. And uh, like I said, sometimes it's when I'm the most unspiritual, which is, is so funny, but at the same time, it's poetic justice because it just lets you know that the grace of God is independent of your, your abilities. <laughs> or your deserving of it. Or your merit of it. Hallelujah for that. It's just like Paul said, and he's one of the greatest revelators that we can see on the written page. He says, but for the grace of God, go I. In other words, it don't, I mean, I, I, I'd count all this dung, but, it's, you know, except for the grace of God in my life through the gospel. I mean, that's the Greg version of it, but that's the way I see that scripture. He's all about the grace. And then we see him go through the thorn in the fleshy experience. That's all about the grace. Showing you. So praise God. That inner voice can, be, can come to you in the darkest hour, and praise God for that because it's done that for, with me. I've had in my darkest hour the voice of God manifest. And one time, I'm just going to give it to you and then we'll close. I'll give you a good example. I was in a situation that <clears throat> I'm not going to go into a lot of details because it's kind of a long story. The bottom line is, is I found myself making a decision that led me from the comfort of home 400 and some miles away to East Texas. I didn't know anybody. I say I, I'm talking about my wife and I. It's I, me and my wife. We're one. 
So we go down. We uproot ourselves from here. We go down. I leave my graduate school. I'm in the middle of writing my thesis. So I'm risking a lot to do this, to take this job. I go down there and I know that I know that I know that I heard the boy, heard God in it. I know that we were supposed to go down there. I mean, I had an inward knowing that this was right. My wife, and here's the best co-witness you can have, is your spouse in the natural, in this dimension. That needs to be your first co-witness if you're married. If you're married, folks, if you're married, that needs to be your first, the first co-witness you look for in addition to the Holy Ghost inside of you. What is the Spirit of God telling you? <laughs> you know, you need to look over your wife. I do that all the time. It's like, honey, you got anything? Because I ain't got nothing. I want to know if you got something. So I, <laughs> and you're hoping she's going to have the voice of God, you know, <laughs> come forth on this issue, whatever it is. Anyway, I know that we, we know that we heard the Lord. We both corroborated it independently. You know, it just seemed right. We went down. And the doors opened. Seemed great. Bottom line is, I end up down there six months out of the gate. I get told I'm fired. It was a crazy situation. It was something the enemy absolutely just worked in. I mean, you could see the hand of the enemy in the whole thing. And, the whole, and I end up in a situation where I made the choice to be the one to be let go instead of my friend, the, the buddy that, I, that was already down there, because he was down there before me. Because they said the, the whole situation was basically they gave us the knife and says, well, as of September 30, one of you has to go. Well, of course, it's going to be me. I came down there after, after Jeff did, so I've got to go. So then I go home, and I am just literally torn. I'm just like, what in the world? <laughs> I'm like, God, this can't be right. I know I heard you. I followed that inward witness that I followed before, and it's led me to good paths. But yet the thing is, I just ended up in a, I, I yielded to a storm of, of soulish Issues. I mean, my mind was just going 90 to nothing about the what ifs and whys and how could I be, uh, you know, leave in the middle of my, my graduate school experience, risk getting my thesis written, finished, which I did, by the way, and got my master's a year later, but, uh, and risk even getting that complete because a lot of statistics say if you do that, you won't get it fit, fin- you won't finish it a lot of times. But anyway, so I end up down there, I'm like, what is going on? The bottom line is I end up in the bitterness of soul. I mean, I am unspiritual. I mean, God is the last thing, really, (laughs) that I'm thinking about. I'm in my blue truck, you know, that I dearly love, and I'm driving back to go get some milk or something because we live like 25 miles from the nearest gallon of milk. I mean, we were interior of this ranch that I worked on behind two lock gates. Anyway, I'm going, and I'm just like, I mean, I'm just grinding my teeth, man. I just cannot believe what's going on. And... Man, I mean, just like, it was like something came in that cab, and it was. It was someone, and his name was the Holy Ghost. And he came in the middle of that cab, and he said, just like I'm speaking to you now, so clearly, it was, I, I mean, it was like I heard his voice with these ears. It was so clear. He said, Greg, you're not at the mercy of circumstances. You're at the mercy of God, which is everlasting. And when I heard that, some, my spirit just went, uh, it just resonated in my inner man. And my soul quickened to that revelation. And this peace came on me. I can't, it's, guess what? It's a peace that passes understanding. It passed my understanding because my understanding wasn't there to see that resolved the way it did. 
But the bottom line is, when that word came to me, it, man, it was just like, chew wolf. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I was, the, I was the most unspiritual I could have been at that moment. And then the voice of God spoke so clearly to me. And I would just want to give that, example, give that as an example of how the Holy Ghost can speak to you. I mean, it's not always just the inward witness, the inward knowing, identifying that. You can have those moments, too. And then we're going to talk about some other ways, too. But everybody recognize the principal way, day in, day out, that we're led by the Spirit of God is the inward witness. Identifying the co-witness, looking for that knowing, that seeming, that doesn't go away, that keeps coming back when we get still. And I want to remind you of this, and we're done. The prophet led out to the mountain. He's going to meet God. He's going to see God. But what, and what does he see? He sees these incredible manifestations, storms and lightning and earthquakes and all this stuff going on. But what eventually ends up that God conveys to him? I'm not in this. I'm not in that. I'm not in that. I'm not in all this powerful, spectacular thing that you're looking for me to be in. I'm in the still, small voice. Isn't that what he told the prophet? Yes. Guess what? Still small voice. God's there. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Father, thank you for your grace in our lives. God, we couldn't do this without your grace. Thank you for the precious Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us into knowledge, for opening up our eyes, for for bringing us to a place of enlightenment. That we can come to a place of simple trust in knowing that the still small voice is you. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's the voice of the living God. Hallelujah. And just thank you, Father God, as the prophet saw in that experience, that we can learn to not be so caught up with looking for the spectacular. And, and we won't miss the supernatural of the still small voice inside of us. Thank you for leading us with that voice. We declare that we're yielded, oh God, tonight. We declare that we are open and ready for business, oh God. We declare that we want our conscience to be clear, that channel to be fine-tuned. And thank you for helping us to do it tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen. (music) 